Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We've been in a series called The Life of Elijah that we've taken a brief um, pause for, a series that we did called The Kingdom Culture, and um, came right back to Elijah. I believe we're in the third week of the part two of the series, and uh, I want to jump right into where we left off. Now, if you've missed any of these messages, we, all of our messages go online, They're typically on the website by Tuesday, um, but if you're wanting to catch up to where we're at, you can go back and download those messages. We'll have a QR code right here. All you have to do is pull out your phone, take a picture of this uh, QR code, and it will take you to our website where you can download, it'll take you right to the, the message portion of our website where you can download those messages and catch up. We've talked a lot about the life of this man named Elijah who came from nowhere and really was the mouthpiece of God to speak to a nation that had turned its back on God. A nation that had started serving false idols, these false idols called Baal and Asherah. And this man Elijah comes from seemingly nowhere and begins preaching the gospel. Not the gospel, excuse me, because the gospel hadn't yet come, but began preaching repentance and telling the king that unless the nation turned and repented, there would be a drought in the land. And essentially he said that until he gave the word, there would be no rain. And that's what happened for three and a half years. And in long story short, through many different circumstances, he comes back and he goes face to face with the prophets of these false idols. He stands on Mount Carmel and boldly proclaims truth in the face of 850 prophets. And there's a test to see whose God really is God. And he waits for them to call on their God to call down fire from heaven and nothing happens. And then he calls down fire from heaven and it comes down for all of Israel to see. And there's a great joy in the land. They kill the 850 prophets and you would think the land is rid rid it from this horrible plague of false prophets and false idols, but it's not. And Elijah has to run for his life because at the threat of King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, they threatened to do to him what he did to the 850 prophets. I'm just catching you up to where we're at. This man who was once full of boldness and courage and the fire of God and the passion of God, zeal, fervor, all of the things you can think to call him Elijah was. He exemplified this great boldness and courage that all of us desire and admire. But in that moment, he turned, he was afraid, and he ran away. Because the truth is, he was discouraged. And we left off last week looking at this man in this moment of discouragement, in this moment of brokenness, and God comes to encourage him. God comes to breathe new life into him. I want to go back there just for a moment. First Kings chapter 19, verse 15, this is what it says. It says, the Lord said to him, go back. Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Anoint also Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel-Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death 
any who escaped the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So here's Elijah, broken, discouraged. Why? Because he'd served God faithfully. He'd called this drought in the land for three and a half years that he was affected by. He had to travel and go all over the place while he's trying to do the right thing. And if you missed last week's message, we talked about what it's like to be discouraged when you're in the middle of doing the right thing. A lot of times you think, I have hardships because I've done the wrong thing. That's not true. Sometimes you have hardships and problems because you've done the right thing. My old pastor, he used to be the pastor here, Pastor Rob Longmire. I remember him saying this about, about being in the ministry and serving God in the ministry. He said, I get tired in it, but I don't get tired of it. Sometimes you can get discouraged in doing the work that God's called you to do. But rarely do we just want to give up. But I believe Elijah had found himself in a place where he really was both. He was tired in it. He was tired of it. He was suicidal, some believe. He was depressed. And he was done. And then God consoles him. God breathes a new life into him. With the simple whisper of God, God showed Elijah who he was. And Elijah came to life again and boldness came back and courage came back to him. But I want you to see something. This is so important. God turned him around and sent him right back to the battlefield. God put him right back on on mission. Now, this is so good. You got to see this. He sends him back, but then he sends him back with a new judgment See, the first judgment was the drought and the people didn't turn. Then the fire of God came and what seemed like they turned was short-lived, many believe. And so now he's going from the drought to the fire and now God is going to send the sword. God's gonna send the sword as another form of of judgment. Now let me say this about Jesus. Let me say this about the God that we serve. He is a just God. There's still a judgment side of God. And I love the love of God. And I, I, I love, I've experienced the love of God. But make no mistake about it. God is love, but God is also judgment and justice. It's who he is. They're not, he's not one or the other. He's both. He's both. And so God's sending this judgment, this justice back Well, Pastor, we're in the New Testament and Jesus is mercy and he's great. And he is. He's great mercy. He is great grace. But make no mistake about it. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. God is a God of judgment. God is a God of justice. Well, I don't believe in that, Pastor. I'm under grace and mercy. Here's the thing. Saying that God is not a God of justice is like you going to Walmart, somebody paying for your, all of your groceries, and you walking away somehow believing that groceries don't cost anything. They do. They cost the person who paid for them. God, there was a penalty to pay for sin that all of us would have to face had it not been for Jesus. He paid the price for our sin. And one day we will stand before him in Christ or not in Christ. 
And there will be a judgment one day. And there are, certain, there are even churches who believe that there's no such thing as a hell. There will be a rude awakening one day. Because there is a heaven and there is a hell. And you go to one of those two places. Are y'all with me this morning? God had patiently withheld the water. He sent the fire. Now he was going to send the sword. The judgment of these, these three men that he's sending Elijah back to anoint. Now, Elijah's going right back to the mission field. He's going right back to the call that God had called him to. I want you to see this. He's got a new passion. He's got a new, but he still had a long journey ahead of him. As a matter of fact, that journey back to Damascus is anywhere between 160 to 200 miles. There were no cars. I don't like driving 200 miles. He had to either walk or take a donkey. 200 miles to fulfill this call that God had called him to, and he obeyed. And he obeyed. Now, I want to point out two very important things about this season of Elijah's life. Number one, even Elijah the prophet got discouraged, and God restored him. This is so important. Don't miss I want you to see this. It's okay to not be okay. I want you to look at me. It's okay to not be okay. And for many of us, that's the very important first step in admitting, I'm not good. Identifying, I need help. Pastor, I'm down. I'm discouraged. I'm depressed. I got issues. Some of you don't think you have issues, but let me tell you, your issues have issues. That's how many issues you have. And so... It's okay to not be okay, but look up here. Don't miss this. It's okay to not be okay, but it is not okay to stay that way. See, that's the extreme of our culture. The extreme of our culture tells you, this is what the culture says. You're so brave. You are so brave. Thank you for being vulnerable about having a problem. And everybody goes, yeah, they got a problem. And then we move on. You got a problem, great. Thank you, it really does take bravery and vulnerability to admit that problem. But God wants you to get up from that problem and to keep moving. Are y'all with me? We praise people for having struggles. We praise people for having issues. And again, thank God for their vulnerability and their bravery. But it's time to get up. For some of you, you're in this place and you've bought that lie that I'm, I'm, this is where I stop. I've got a problem, I'm depressed. Everybody praise me because I'm depressed. Nobody's gonna praise you because you're depressed. God wants to heal your depression and help you move forward with your life. It's important for you to know. God didn't ta-ta Elijah. He didn't go, Elijah, okay, you're good. Just stay right here. I'll take care of you for the rest of your days. That's not what happens. He says, man of God, I'm with you. I'm breathing in you. Now get up and keep going. Get up and keep going. That's what God, I believe God wants for our lives. And the second thing is connected to the first, and this is important, don't miss this. I've heard it falsely preached, falsely preached, that when Elijah 
came to God and he was discouraged that God was done with using Elijah in that moment. And it was because of his discouragement that God sent him to go anoint somebody else to do the job because now Elijah had disqualified himself. Can I just tell you, that's called a lie. That is a lie. That is not what happened. And the rest of the Bible tells us how God continued to, to use Elijah. What am I saying? Your weakness does not disqualify you. But your unwillingness to get up and keep moving does. Your unwillingness to move forward does. And some of you have been through a lot. Look up here, don't miss this. Some of you have been through a lot. You've been burned, you've been hurt by church people. Join the club. People near you have betrayed you. Right? You've lost people who are dear to you and it's so impacted your life that you don't want to get up and move on with your life. I understand. But can I tell you this? God's not done with you. And your purpose may look differently than you thought it did. If it does, you're in good company. Because here's one of the greatest prophets to ever live and his purpose looks different than even he thought it did. But keep following. Keep following God. And what you're striving for, you may attain one day, but it may look completely different than the way that you thought it would. God is not done with you. Get up and keep going. Y'all with me? Verse 19, let's keep going. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driven, excuse me, was driving the 12th pair. Now immediately God speaks to Elijah and Elijah gets up and goes on his journey. He's refreshed now. He's, God is with him. God's reminded him. He's with him and Elijah's ready to go. He goes back and immediately finds his successor. And into this story, into this narrative now enters this figure by the name of Elisha. Elisha. Now Elisha was the son of Shaphat. And I believe that when the 7,000 people that God had just talked about that hadn't bowed their knees to Baal, excuse me, and Asherah, I believe that Shaphat and Elisha and their family was a part of that 7,000. They unknowingly, more than likely, prophesied Elisha's name and his destiny. The name Elisha literally means, my God is salvation. That's what his name means. Now, I want you to understand some things about Elisha as we dive into his life. Boy, was wealthy. He was not broke. He had money, he had land, he had, he had a lot of stuff. How do I know that? He had 12 team of oxen. Now, not 12 oxen, 12 teams of oxen. So we're talking at least 24, maybe even 36 teams of oxen out plowing land. Imagine this. Imagine somebody invites you over to the house and you come over to their house and they said, yeah, I got a little land in the back and it takes 12 tractors to plow their land. And listen to me, not the orange one, the expensive green one. <laughs> the John Deere, the good stuff. And it's plowing all of that land. What does that mean? It means that he owned a lot of land. This was a young, 
rich, wealthy man. He had a godly family that served God. And so he had it good. It was a good day in Israel. He woke up in the morning, drank his community coffee because that's what God's people drink. I know that because I served y'all mellow joy at one time and y'all almost left the church, everybody here, but. Don't act like y'all don't remember that. I have not forgotten. Wakes up, drinks his coffee, looks at all of the great land that he has and then he goes to work. This was a wealthy man expecting a good life until Elijah shows up. And Elijah comes out of nowhere. And I want you to see something. Let's turn our attention back to Elijah for a moment. Elijah needed help. God told him, these are the people you're supposed to anoint. And Elijah needed help. He needed people. I want you to see something. Don't miss this. Sometimes your help will come from the people you invest in. Let me unpack that because I want you to, I want you to see this. If you want favor, do a lot of favors. Some of you look around right now and you you think to yourself, I need help. I need somebody to help me. Pastor, there's nobody here to help me. Let me ask you a question. Who have you invested in the relationship with? And now they're there to help you because you've invested in their, their relationship for so many years. See, when you invest in others, you have no idea when you're gonna need a return on that. That's why one of the reasons why we stress so much not isolating yourself and building with the family of God because you never know when you're going to need them. You never know when tragedy strikes and you need those people in your life. You never know when there's a great need and there's people there who love you who are there to help you because there's an amicable relationship of investing in one another. Think about it like this, even Jesus. When Jesus did the miracle of multiplying the fish and the loaves, He prayed for it. How many of you know that's a significant miracle? You don't believe that's a significant miracle? So let me get this straight. I show up with a catfish pole boy and Jonathan back there on the soundboard prays for it and now everybody has a catfish pole boy and that's not a, it's not significant. So Jesus does that and he multiplies the fish and the loaves but I want you to see this. Who handed them out to the people? the people he had invested his life in. They were with him doing the work of the ministry. Yes, he was investing in them and there was a return on that investment because they were there helping him do the work of the ministry. You never know who you're investing in and what you're investing in. Just this past weekend, I was able to pick up the phone to my favorite chiropractor, a lady named Tina Terrio, and say, hey, my, my wife is having, she's having a, a, some pain in her back. Absolutely, I'll be there, I hope. What do you need me to do? Are you off today? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. Why? Because we'd invested in the relationship. And she was there for us in a moment of need because we were there for her in moments of need. That's how relationships go. It is not just you and God. It's you and God and the family of God. So important. Now back to the story, back to the story. Elijah visits, he, he goes to Elisha, and Elisha's got 12 um, teams of oxen. And again, that, that's a prophetic picture. 
It's a prophetic picture of the 12 disciples and the 12 tribes of Israel. It's a very prophetic picture. And this is what happens. Verse 19 again. It says this. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Pastor, what does that mean? That's kind of weird. This is not two teenage girls sharing their clothes. What's happening here? Prophets in that day, they wore what was called a mantle. It was a cloak. It was something that they wore, and it represented the authority and the responsibility that they had as prophets of God. So Elijah is doing his thing, obeying God. He sees the man who God wants him to pass on this mantle to. And all Elijah does, he doesn't walk up, he doesn't have a conversation, he doesn't say, hey, would you like to come and be a part of my ministry? He walks up to him and he passes the mantle and he walks off. This is so important, don't miss this. He's passing this mantle as a sign to say, what's on me will one day be on you. The anointing on my life, the the mantle, the authority, the responsibility God has given me, if you will allow it, I will pass it on to you. And this this is so good, and this is so good for our church to hear. Don't miss this. This is a generational moment. This is a generational moment. What do you mean by generational moment? What does the Bible say about Elijah, the spirit of Elijah coming to John the Baptist in the book of Malachi? Some of you are like, I have no idea. Let me tell you. It says the spirit of Elijah will come, right? Elijah will come and the hearts of the fathers will turn to the sons and the hearts of the sons will turn to the fathers. That is a generational bridge being built. What's happening here is Elijah is looking for the next generation and he's passing on the anointing on him onto the next generation. I hope that our church is around in 40 years, but the question of what it's going to look like is up to you. Whether or not we're a vital part of the community in 40 years is going to be up to you. That's, what do you mean, Pastor. Are you going to take what God has invested to you and pass it on to others? Some of you have been here since the orange chair days. Who have you passed on those stories and what God's done in your life to? Who have you covered with the stories of how God moved in your life when there seemed to be no way? Who have you taught the foundations of the faith to? This was a generational moment. Older generation, hear me. And those who have been saved a long time, hear me. God has done a lot for you. And it's up to you whether or not you're going to pass it on to the next generation. My encouragement to you will be start looking for who's next. Start looking for the future leaders of our church. Start looking for the future gospel preachers of the community. Start looking for those who are going to lead those small groups that you've led for so many years. Start identifying them and passing on the mantle of what God has given to you to the next generation. That's your responsibility. Younger generation, both age-wise and spiritual age-wise, it's your responsibility to value it. That's your responsibility. 
See, the Bible talks about that, this word honor. Do you know what the word honor means? It doesn't mean opening a door and giving, you know, gift cards to. Although we accept gift cards here at our Savior's Church. That's not what honor means. Honor is the Greek word timi, spelled like time, T-I-M-E. It's the Greek word and it literally means to value something. So when God told us, honor your father and your mother, what he's saying is value them, value their words, value what they're teaching you. If you do, you'll have a long life. Why? Because the things they're teaching you, right when it's the right thing, will help you live a long and blessed life. And if you value those words, you'll be blessed. But it's when you dishonor those words and you do whatever you want to, life is not blessed. It's full of consequences and hardships. And even as our parents, when, when we're younger, honor looks like this. I'm going to obey what you say to do. When they grow older, honor looks like this. I'm not just going to value your word. I'm going to value who you are. That means calling you. That means thinking about you. That means actually valuing you as a person. Younger generation, you have the responsibility whether or not you're going to value what's being offered to you. That choice is yours. That choice is worth y'all. Are you with me? Elijah gave it, but Elisha has to take it. Just walking by, Elisha's there. Elijah walks up. And he walks off. In that moment, Elisha had a big choice to make. A big choice to make. Because this was going to cost him something and he knew it. It's going to cost him. See, he, up until this moment, life was made in the shade. Up until this moment, he had everything he needed. But now he was going to have to step away from being the expert in land and knowing how to do everything and being good at all the stuff that he put his hand to to starting all over again in life and relearning how to live life. He had to relearn everything. Everything he knew was about to change. And he knew that. That's the cost. That's what was being asked of him. It was not, hey, let's just come and have a great small group together. It was no, give up everything you have and come and follow me. That's what was being asked of him. And Elisha had a big decision to make. Would he become a learner again? Would he humble himself again? So this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Some of us are used to doing life our way. And we have, we're accustomed to doing things our way. You're accustomed to being the type of husband who's a jerk. And then Jesus is trying to teach you, if you're following him, how not to do that. And you, I like being a jerk. But you have to relearn how to do that. Wives, some of you are used to your husbands being scared of you. And you have to relearn that. How to treat your employees with honor and respect. How to honor authority, even though everything in culture tells you you're not supposed to do that. Having to relearn these things in order to follow. That's the choice Elisha had to make. And it was a split decision. It was not like, go home, pray about this for two weeks. It was, are you going to take it or not? Verse 20. 
Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah, which means Elijah dropped it off and walked off to the point where Elisha had to run after him. He had to value and honor what was just offered to him. And this is what he says. He says, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Elijah's response was this, go back. Elijah replied, what have I done to you? Now this shows that Elijah was offering it and moving on as I just put. But Elijah's response to him was a test, I believe. And it was a test to see whether or not he was actually going to value what was just offered to him. If he was actually going to really take this call and follow it. This is what Alfred Eidersheim says in his book about this. It says, it is as if Elijah had said, do you ask what future may await you? What work or what trials? I know not. If this call finds an echo in your heart, come, if not, forbear. In other words, if this resonates inside of your heart, follow. But I'm not promising you anything. See, I think that's what we expect. God, I will serve you if you take care of X, Y, and Z. God, I will take care of you if you fix my spouse. God, I will take care of you if you fix my business. God, I will follow you, Lord, if all, if all the rest of my days are blessed and comfortable and no sickness. Elijah was not offering him any of that. The only thing he was offering him was follow me. Follow me and God will use you. We can't make these deals with God. God, if you, then I will. If this sounds familiar to you, listen to me, it, it should. There were no guarantees made to Elisha. If this sounds familiar, Jesus had this exact same moment in Luke chapter nine. And this is what it says, Luke chapter nine, verse 57. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, I love these words, come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. Sound familiar? But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. So Elijah says yes, but Jesus says no. Or seemingly, Jesus says no. Some believe, scholars believe that in Luke chapter nine, what the guy was really asking is let me go set my house in order. Let me go set my affairs in order. In other words, let me go get everything at home together so that when I come back to it, it's, it's ready to go. And Jesus is saying, there is no coming back to it. There's no going back to it. If you're going to follow me, you burn the bridge and you follow me and you let go of that old life. That's what some believe. I believe Jesus is warning the man not to be entangled again with the cares of this life. 
What Jesus is saying is, and here's the, I don't know that Jesus said, from the reading of this, I don't know that Jesus said, don't go back. But I believe what he's warning him is, if you go back, don't you bring that with you. Burn that bridge and come and follow me. Don't go back and tie yourself entangled with all of the cares of that life because who knows, he may have gone back and go, I'm following Jesus. And they go, really? Do you know it's gonna cost you this? Have you heard, I heard rumors about this Jesus guy. And all, that's what some of y'all faced. When you started coming to our church, they were like, you go to what church? You know, we grew up like this. We are that. We don't do that. Jesus says, cut it off and follow me. But whether or not he allowed him to go back or not, what I know is this. The call to follow Jesus is greater than the call to follow Elijah. And in the New Testament, Jesus requires even more than what was required in the Old Testament. What? They had all those rules and all those things. Pastor, do we have to follow that? No. Jesus requires every ounce of your heart. He requires your intentions, your motives, why you're doing what you're doing. Follow him. Follow him. Are y'all with me this morning? And how do I know this is, those two are connected? Listen to the language that Jesus used. He said, anyone who puts his hand to the plow. What was Elisha doing when Elijah called him? He was plowing. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was requiring. And I believe that that man did as well. Now back to our story. Elijah asked this, Elisha essentially, do you realize what I'm offering you? Come and follow me. That's it. No promises, no guarantees. Follow me. I told a young lady this recently because I believe sometimes our idea of what Christianity is is off, is skewed. We think I signed my name on a paper, that's my fire insurance. I raised my hand that one time and prayed that prayer and everything's good to go. I can live however I wanna live, right, it's covered. That is not, nor was it ever, the call of Jesus on our lives. And as I've preached about this before, the call is very simple and it has not changed. Come, follow me. If you are not following him, then let me let you in on a secret. The word in the Greek, if you're not following him, it means you're not following him. Right. <laughs> Was that deep enough for everybody? If you're not following, then you're not following. And Jesus' call was come and follow me. I told this to a young lady recently who just, again, she had this skewed belief that I'm good. I can, and she was making these horrible decisions in her life. And so I helped point this out. This is not following God. And she sat back in a chair and went, wait a minute, are you saying I might not be safe? Yes. That's what I'm saying. Verse 21. I love Elijah, Elisha's response. Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. So not only did he follow, but he burned the bridge. 
He took all of his equipment, broke it up, made a big bonfire, killed all those John Deere tractors and cooked the meat and gave it away. In other words, he burned the bridge to follow Elijah. I love the way A.W. Pink puts it. He says, yet Elisha chose to be a servant to a prophet rather than master of a large farm. For the next six years of his life, this is what Elisha did. He didn't get to walk around and be the prophet. He didn't get to walk around and see all the miracles at his own hand. This is what the Bible says he did. He washed the hands of Elijah. He served the man of God. For six years, he simply served Elijah. He left being the master. He left having the lands. He left having the servants under his command. He left having all of the wealth and the prestige to go and be a lowly servant of a man. How do you know when you're a servant? When you're willing to be treated like one. And he served this man for six years. And can I tell you something? This is this whole story of Elijah. If you haven't caught it yet, let me let you in on the secret behind it. It's all a picture of Jesus. It is all a picture of Jesus. Every bit of it. And Jesus requires the same thing of us that Elijah required of Elisha. Burn the bridge. Say goodbye to your past and come and follow me. Stop holding on to it. Stop. I'm going to serve God, but I know my job is illegal and I have to do some immoral things and I kind of stop. Come follow me. I know I'm kind of sleeping around with my boyfriend, sleeping around with my girlfriend. And, and I mean, I think God knows I have needs. Come follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That's what Jesus requires. I mean, pastor, you know God knows I got struggles. Yes, but he doesn't want you to stay in them. Get up and follow him. His call has not changed from the moment he gave it to this point. He requires the same thing of us that Elijah required of Elijah. Come, follow me. And Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. Elijah said, I'll make you a prophet. One greater than Elijah has come. And he's offering that same thing to us. I'm so pleased by the people who got baptized today because this is what they did. When you're brought, when you're put into that water and you're born again, you come out signifying you're a new creation. You come out signifying to the world, I now belong to Jesus. And I've put it like this multiple times. It's like marriage. Right? Putting the ring on your finger is not the thing that actually makes you married. But it is a signifier to the rest of the world that I now belong to that woman. Water baptism is a signifier to the rest of the world. I now belong to that man. That's why the, Jesus said, there's so much there. I'm going I'm to end, I promise. So much there. Jesus says this. He says, you must be born of the water and the spirit. When you're born, what do you come out of? Don't get technical and call it embryonic fluid. It's water. <laughs> when you go into that water, you come up signifying you being born again. But you're saying goodbye to the world. You're burning the bridge. 
those old things that I was attached to and entangled with, I'm saying goodbye to. Those old friends that you know if you pick up the phone tomorrow, you can go easily back to that thing. You burn that bridge. That old girlfriend, you burn that bridge. That old business practice, you burn that bridge. Because you're committed to answering the call. The same call Elijah made to Elisha, it's the same call Jesus makes to us. Come, follow me. And you have to be willing to say, like that banner says, I have decided to follow you. I'm gonna ask our worship team to come and we're gonna, they're gonna sing a song and then I'm gonna come and close us out in prayer. But I want you as they sing this song to close your eyes and to reflect on the words of what they're about to sing, what they're about to say. For many of you, hopefully, it's a reminder of the commitment you made. For others in this room who've never made it, let it be a challenge to you. That today the same call is being made to you. How will you respond to it? How will you respond to it? Close your eyes. Let's listen to the words of this song. I have decided to follow Jesus. strengthened today that even when you find yourselves in those moments where God I'm not sure if I want to do this I've already made my decision I'm going to follow you pray that's reinforced in your soul because one greater than Elijah came and called you and he wants his spirit to rest on you but for those of you who are here who have never made that decision. This is your moment 
the call that he made to Elijah, Elijah made to Elisha, the call Jesus made to his disciples. Today, Jesus makes that same call to you. Come and follow me. Come and follow me. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I want to follow Jesus today. I want to be what the Bible calls born again. Let me explain that briefly. Jesus told a religious leader, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are first born again. It's a new start, a fresh start. Your sins are forgiven. He cleans the slate and paves the way for you to follow him. If that's what you want today, I want to pray for you. I want to lead you to a very simple process that's as easy as ABC. A, you admit, admit that you're a sinner. It's a sin in your life that separates you from God. That's not meant to condemn you. It's meant to simply identify the truth. There's sin in your life that separates you from a holy, righteous God. But B, you believe that God sent Jesus to die on that cross for that sin, to wash it away, to wash you clean. And C, confess that he is now the Lord of your life, that you're going to follow, that you give control and allegiance of your life to Jesus that's you and no one looking around I'm going to ask you to close your eyes bow your heads everyone in this place please if you say pastor that's me I want to be born again and no one looking around on the count of three I want to ask you to lift up your hand and identify it's me and then I'm going to lead you in a prayer a prayer of surrender one two three if that's you lift it up thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you sir thank you man praise God thank you thank you see your hand back there keep it up thank you Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you, sir. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. See your hand back there. Thank you. Wow. Thank you, man. Wow. You can put them down. Pray these words with me, and they're more than words. Let them be the commitment of your heart today to follow him. Say these words with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe You are the son of God. I believe on the cross. You died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell so I would not have to go. And you rose again from the dead on the third day to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on this earth, in a relationship with God the Father. I turn away from my sin. I repent of my sin. And I commit to following you. I will follow you. And from this moment on, God, you're my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. Heaven is now my home. And my sins are now washed away. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's celebrate with every person that prayed that prayer.